Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dark Matters. Well, friend. Hello, friend. Hi, friend. Hello, friend. Hello. Hello. All right. Well, as I said, I'm not going to do the topic that I was going to do, so I'm going to surprise you with something. Um, And all I have to ask is, um, do you know about a kidnapping? Very, very vague. I know many kidnappings. Very vague. <laughs> You're right. Okay. What about, what about, um, I'll give you something vague, but also not vague. What about a, a man's little baby boy? Again. <laughs> how many men okay. and how many babies are in this world? Maybe boys? Really? All right. So I'll just give it to you. Great. Guesses, thank, Sam. Thank, you. Okay. thank you. So my topic tonight is going to be about the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. I knew it. <laughs> did you? you didn't I did. Guess. Well, I, I thought about it, but then I'm like, wait a second. That's also very vague. And I could it's not be vague. that. So. All right. So cool. I hope that means that you're excited. I am excited. So the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr., 20 months old, was the son of Charles and Anne. And Charles Lindbergh is the famous aviator. And he was kidnapped about 9 p.m. on March 1st, 1932, from his nursery on the second floor in Hopewell, New Jersey. So the child's... Oh, wait. What? Can we pause real quick? Yeah. Hopewell, New Jersey. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Another tri-state area <laughs> event. I know. And I think... Yeah, I, thought was, I thought it was interesting. That is interesting. I know. All close cool, to home. Cool. 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 I love when babies get kidnapped. Well, just kidding. No. <laughs> that's not what I meant. You know what I mean? It's just something that's so, like, I mean, at least to me, it's so, like, well-known. Yeah. And I didn't even know. I didn't even realize that it was in Hopewell, New Jersey. I don't so think I did cool. either. So his, uh, the child's nurse, Betty Gal, was home along with the parents at this point. And they had gone out but had come home. And she had checked on him about 8.30 that night. And when she went to check back at 10 p.m., he wasn't there. But she did find a ransom note on the nursery window for $50,000. So, of course, the Hopewell police and the New Jersey State Police were called and they came right away. So the investigation was underway and they found traces of mud found on the nursery floor, along with footprints found under the window. They say that the footprints couldn't be determined, but they knew there were footprints. They also focused on the ladder that was sitting on the windowsill that the person used to get into the nursery. And they realized that sections of it were split and broken. And to them, that indicated that it broke during the ascent or the descent after the child was taken. There were no blood, there's no fingerprints in the nursery, and all of the household and estate employees were questioned. They made widespread appeals to kidnappers to start the negotiations right away um, because of the ransom note. So they're like, okay, what do we do next? The second note, so this is March 1st. The second note was found on March 6th, and it demanded now $70,000. A third note, two days later on the 8th, stated that 
they wouldn't work with a middleman. They didn't want the Lindberghs to find someone to be the mediator of this negotiation. And they're like, it won't work. I don't want anyone hired by the family. The day after, the fourth note arrived, and it was received by Dr. Condon, who was um, a friend of the Lindbergh family, and it said in the note that he was an acceptable go-between man for them to talk to. So Lindbergh was like, okay, I agree. This is fine. This can happen. On March 10th, Mr. Condon, so he's in it now, and he has a bunch of work ahead of him. He received the $70,000 from the Lindberghs. And he immediately started the negotiations through newspaper columns. And through these columns, people sometimes would use code words to talk to each other. And the code name that they used was JATSI, J-A, no, JAFSI, J-A-F-S-I-E. So the doctor receives the fifth note on the 12th at 8.30 p.m. by a taxi driver who received it from an unidentified individual. And so this message stated in the... <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. Okay. This taxi driver <laughs> receives it yes. from this unknown individual. Yes. And says, hey, deliver this to my good old pal, Dr. Condon. <laughs> and has no idea. No. Is it a man? No idea. Is it a woman? He has no idea. No idea. Individual. Like, you spoke uh. to him. He gave, or He or she gave something to you and you don't even know if it's a man or a woman can you at least give them that not just an individual like, can you like, imagine come can on you imagine <laughs> something someone really? a taxi an uber driver comes to your house they're like hey i got this letter from someone and be like oh who and be like i don't know and be like what yeah, i don't know <laughs> like some person clearly you're in on it <laughs> what's happening some person I mean, exactly. give me a break. Give exactly. Break. Weird. I don't know. It was 1930s. So I don't know. Maybe they were just happy to see someone and talk to someone. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so the note that he handed him, the fifth note, stated that the sixth note would be found somewhere else. So it said that it would be found beneath a stone at a vacant stand 100 feet from a subway station. That's very vague. <laughs> Again, so he knew where vague. to go, though. This doctor knew where to go because he found note number six and he followed the instructions to meet a man named John at Woodlawn Cemetery to discuss the payment. So John, in quotes, because we, you know, we don't know who he is. John agreed to show tokens of the baby to prove that this wasn't like a hoax. So on March 16th, the seventh note was received, as well as the baby's sleeping suit. And the suit was sent to Charles, the father, and was identified as baby Charles's little sleeping outfit, which was very upsetting because that's what he was yeah. kidnapped in. So it was identified as baby Charles. Um, and on March 21st, the eighth note was received. And in this note, it insisted that there was complete compliance and said that the kidnapping was planned for over a year. Did they already get the money at this point? They didn't have the money yet. Okay. Because that's why he asked for proof. And he's like, okay, time goes on, blah, blah, blah. So he says on May 21st. Now, this is 20 days after, okay? So on the 29th, another eight days after, Betty Gal, the nurse, um, the nursery lady, what is she? The baby giver, the caregiver. I Nanny? forget the name. The na oh, thank you. Okay. 
So eight days later, Betty the nanny found the infant's thumb guard near the entrance of the estate. And she says that that is what he was wearing that night. And I looked up a thumb guard and it was probably the cutest little thing. And I feel like finding that would be the most terrifying thing because it's just like a little, it's like it goes over your thumb and it's literally a thumb guard for infants. Is it like a thimble? Like a, like a... Kind of. Yeah. It right. looked like rubbery okay. to me. Mm-hmm. So the following day on March 30th, the doctor received note number nine and it threatened to increase the number, the money amount to a hundred thousand dollars. And he was ref- going to refuse to c- a new code for the newspaper. So he was going to refuse any more contact through these newspapers, no more code names. And he was like, I want even more money. So, of course, April 1st, surprise, there's another note. The 10th mo- note instructed to have the money ready for the following night. So then, of course, the 11th note, the day after on the 2nd, um, comes. And it is <laughs> it's received. It is dropped off by another taxi driver. Given by an unknown name. <laughs> did you just like slam your hand down? I yes, felt I the rage. I felt yes, the I rage. <laughs> this is some straight bullshit. All right. Okay. Straight bullshit. Yep. How so... the fuck? How... Wait, wait a second. We need to dissect this a little bit. How the okay. fuck? This, this is a different taxi driver, correct? Yes. How does two taxi drivers? <laughs> Two different people <laughs> get a note from Think an it's okay. individual, <laughs> and they don't know man, woman, anything, description of the person that you're looking at. You're looking at them. You're talking to them. Hello? Like, <laughs> what's happening here, people? I mean, and it's just normal to drop off letters. You're a taxi driver. That's literally not your job. And yeah, why are you agreeing to this? <laughs> why are you agreeing to drop off a note? Like, sorry, like this is Where's not my worth tip? my this is not worth my time. Like, hello. yeah. Like, I mean, okay, how do you say? Go. Oh, can you drop this ransom note off of this house, <laughs> sir or madam? <laughs> this is a crime. <laughs> this, this is, is a, a crime. This is a fucking crime. And you're oh putting me God. in the middle of it. I'm and sorry. I wonder, I wonder if they read the note, you know, like, did they peek? Probably Come not. But I, no, they I, had, I mean, unless it, so unless it, unless it was sealed, if it was sealed, that's one thing. If it wasn't sealed, you Still know, there's it. no way and there's no way in hell they didn't look at that note. Okay. No way yeah, in that's hell. True. And you'd think after reading that note, if they read it, which you know, they read it, if it was not sealed, you read that note exactly. and you're like, huh, this is the, this is that, that guy or, or girl that kidnapped <laughs> that baby. Oh, let me just think back at the conversation I just had with this person. What do they look like? What do they sound like? Are they a man or a woman? Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm fired up and this is in the 30s. <laughs> okay. Well, to be fair, one of the taxi drivers does come back. So don't worry about it. Okay. I was just, I thought you were going to say he's blind or something. Because I was like, okay, that's one. But he's a fucking taxi driver. A taxi driver. How is he be blind with a taxi driver? <laughs> <laughs> okay this is up. so that 11th note was delivered and you guessed it it told him where to go to find the 12th note so this note was also under a stone in front of a greenhouse in bronx new york that's a long ways away <laughs> i know i don't like 
and a greenhouse. All of a sudden, <laughs> he's like, damn it. I- hey, hey, guys, guess what? I need you to go to the Bronx and over an hour and a half away to get this next ransom note. Why? What is the purpose of that? Okay. So that note asked the doctor to meet John that same night. So not only does he have to go to the Bronx to get this note, but it also says, hey, you have to meet me. Once he gets a note, he's like, oh, you, I'm already here. I have to meet you somewhere else. Like, this is a lot. And then when he did meet him, he reduced the ransom amount to $50,000. Oh, now you're getting tired, John? You're getting tired of this game? You just want to get it over with? $50,000? Is, is that your plan? Can now, be John? Done? Is be this done? your game? Can we finish now? Can we be finished? Is this isn't a game. This is over a month so, long. This is old at this point. Every day with a letter. What, do you have a job? Do you have a job, John? Like, I don't want to give a fucking job because you can write these notes and have them fucking delivered by a taxi driver every single day. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Okay. So, he reduced the ransom to $50,000 and the doctor gave it to him in cash. And he did get a receipt, which I thought was weird because do people just like... Are they able to give a receipt? Like, is it just a piece of paper? Like, you what gave me this on the state. What does the receipt say? <laughs> Kidnapping. I don't know. I don't know more Lindbergh about the receipt. Jr. Really? <laughs> what are you writing up on this receipt? Ransom money. Kidnapping. Thanks. Ransom money. What? So he got the receipt, but he also got the 13th note. And mm-hmm. in this 13th note, it contained instructions to find the baby on a boat named Nelly near Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Again, now we're going to Massachusetts, John? Really? <laughs> How did you get the baby there and get back to Bronx? Sorry. No, no idea. So lots of questions. I know. there. I didn't have as many until I had to read it out loud and tell you. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. There's some holes in the story. <laughs> So no sense. No sense. So there was a search the next day, but it was unsuccessful. And later the search was repeated a few times because first they couldn't really even find the boat. So they're like, does this boat exist? So they did try, but they couldn't find anything. And on May 12th, um, the body of Charles Jr. was accidentally found. Um, He was partly buried and he was badly decomposed. And he was four and a half miles southeast of their home estate. I knew um, it. Yeah. He was 45 feet away from the highway. And it was he was found in Mercer County, New Jersey. Oh. So, yeah. So he was not far from his home. Like I said, four and a half miles, not far at all. So Also, I just want to point out, this is another example, unfortunate example, about how they say with kids being kidnapped, the first 24 hours is is crucial because more often than not after that 24 hours they're most likely dead and it's so sad to think that and by the sounds of his body just from that little bit you just said about Mm -hmm. him being badly decomposed and mind you this is what like a month and a half after he was kidnapped yeah yeah you know if he's that badly decomposed he was probably killed on the 2nd of march it did show trigger warning that um, they found that his head was crushed and there was a hole in his skull oh. and some body parts were missing. This is disturbing. Disturbing also for Alan, William Allen, who discovered it by accident. Um, 
and the body was identified and it would um, and Charles Jr. was cremated on May 13th. The coroner's exam showed that Charles Jr. was dead for about two months and the cause of death yep. was a blow to the head. So like you literally just said, he wasn't I mean, the notes like the whole the I mean, the game, what was he doing? Like, what was the point? Literally a game. Like, you raised the money, and then you even put it back down. Like, it wasn't even like uh, I don't know. Just didn't make any. This is the this is the thing. This is the thing with this. Mm. In my opinion, this this is what this tells me. This tells me that you know, if you're if you're just like after the money, okay, Mm -hmm. you kidnap the kid, you get the money, you, you drop the kid off, whatever. It's quick. It's you know, it's a transaction. You get what you wanted. You get what you came for. You're done. Mm-hmm. And you try to you try to escape after that, right? You yep. kidnapping a baby, killing that baby, and mm-hmm. still going on with mind games, because these are literally mind games, yep. note day after day, literally torturing the parents, torturing yeah. the parents. They're waiting every single day for a note, just some little glimpse of hope that their baby is still okay and alive. And you just keep asking for money. You keep making them go all around the freaking country. All it's literally it doesn't make any sense. No, so doesn't make any sense. Okay. What this tells me is this tells me one of one of two things. One, this is a person who hates their family and wants to see them suffer in every single way possible. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? You go after the innocent child. That's number one. Number two, if they don't know him personally, this is a psychopath yeah literal psychopath you get enjoyment out of torturing a family by killing an innocent child like that is fucked up beyond belief and and then yeah on top of that just the like just what are you doing like this is so long and prolonged what is the purpose of this like that's what i'm saying like what is what are you getting out of this really it's and that's the only two things i can think of you know yeah exactly and not a spoiler alert, but I don't think he knew them personally. I think um, he just wanted the money because there's nothing that shows that he that person n- knew them personally. But now we're getting to the investigation. Yeah, but I think it's more than the money. Yeah, well, he was messed up, and it just—he's uh, just. Because it was, it was just about the money. He would have taken the money and ran, especially when he got close to a hundred thousand. I mean, I can't understand him like bargaining for more. Fine. Yeah. But then at that point. Game is over. Get the money and run. Like just exactly. that's what you're after. But like exactly. clearly that was not the end goal. When you go after it for a month and then you finally get only fifty thousand after you ask for almost a hundred, like that makes absolutely no sense. It's to just me. so overdone. Doesn't make sense. Just so much effort that wasn't necessary. Yeah. Um exactly. and also going to this estate, which was very large. They had a huge estate. They were in the middle of their land and at the time there's not like many houses but even new jersey now there are places that are pretty isolated and he went there because it was after his successful travel across wherever he went the atlantic i forget where he went should have wrote down but he was famous and they were in the spotlight and so they moved to this place to be isolated so not only did this person know where they live but they took a ladder and climbed it to the second story and stole a baby from his bed that's incredibly out of this world to me does not make sense no but so the investigation started um on may 23rd and the fbi in new york informed all the new york banks to keep close watch for ransom money so i will get into it but all 
$40,000 of the ransom had been paid in gold certificates because, again, it's the 1930s, so I don't think it was just cash. So they were looking at like, hey, look out for these specific gold certificates that we gave him for the ransom. So they wanted, they discussed a $25,000 reward for any info resulting in the apprehension and conviction of the kidnapper kidnappers. And copies of that reward notice were sent to all law officials and agencies across the U.S. So a little, a month later on June 10th, Violet Sharp, a waitress in Miss Lindbergh's mother's home, committed suicide by poison. And she had been under investigation and was going to be questioned again. But her March 1st movements were checked again, and it was found that she had no connection with the child. It was just a very weird occurrence. So they did look into her and thought, hmm, that's kind of weird. But further look proves that she had nothing to do with it. So that's sad. Right. I know. And like poisoning yourself, that is terrifying to me. I don't, that's terrifying. Um, she did it. I, I don't, and I don't know what kind of poison we're talking about in the thirties. I mean, like back then, I don't know what they'd be using. So a couple months later in September, President Franklin Roosevelt stated that all work on the case be centralized, centralized to the Department of Justice. And the next month in October, the FBI announced to have exclusive jurisdiction, which was a huge deal because at the time, kidnapping wasn't a felony and it wasn't something that people worked together with to find the solution for. So we'll see that later on. But again, so, what? So they could just kidnap people? Whenever they want. <laughs> they could kidnap like, people, but... Slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. <laughs> what? But it wasn't like... It wasn't... Hold on. Let me... Now I'm going to have to find my notes. Hold on. Let me see. Because I will tell you. Oh, it was not a federal crime kidnapping at the time. But it goes back to it. it's never a thing until something terrible happens. Well, yeah. But I just figure, like, they, they know murder's wrong. They know, like, assault's wrong. I feel like kidnapping should have been up there already. Be like, hey, let's make a list of things I that mean, we already know is bad, just so we know. Kind of should have been a given, but you know. <laughs> Sam's like, fuck this, fuck them. <laughs> Literally, fuck them all. This is so ridiculous <laughs> to me. You're like, Danielle, you're making some of this the, up. I swear to God, just to piss me off. don't know anything about this person. <laughs> I know. Nothing about this person. Nothing. nothing. Really? No, nothing. Nothing. Nothing yet. Ugh. So, okay. So like I said, the 40K of ransom had been paid in gold certificates. And in January of 1934, a circular was issued by the New York City Borough Office, and it was sent to all banks requesting the close watch for ransom certificates. So by February, all offices had supplies had been supplied with pamphlets containing the serial numbers of all these ransom bills, and they were distributed copies to all the employees handling currency. So anyone that would ever come across this had the chance to find these ransom certificates and know exactly that they were from the Lindbergh kidnapping. There were definitely a few frauds involved in this mystery kidnapping, and one was con man Gaston B. Means was approached by Miss Evelyn Walsh McLean. And McLean, at the time, before they found Lindbergh Jr., she was a friend of the Lindberghs, and she felt that she could help Lindbergh get his child back. So this Means guy and McLean, the lady, uh, they knew each other 
from doing investigative work years before for her husband. So they did know each other. And Means told to her, hey, I can get in contact with these kidnappers. And she said, hey, what do you mean? And he said, well, I'd been invited to participate in a big kidnapping the week before, but declined it. And so she was like, oh, okay. So the next day he told her that he had made contact and that she should give him $100,000. So she gave him the $100,000 and she waited until March 17th. I mean, April 17th. So she waited over a month and a half. So she's out $100,000 of of this ransom money. And she waited until April 17th, a month and a half later, to hear back about what happened to this money. And he had reported having negotiations with the ringleader, a.k.a. Ugh. the Fox. So she was like, okay, great. But I no, need more information. <laughs> you didn't not. like the name? Unacceptable. <laughs> So she uh, so she was like, great, but that's not enough. Like, I demand the money back. Like, I don't believe you. And he failed to give it to her. So she turned it over to the FBI and she was like, hey, I need you guys to follow up on this because they took $100,000. He lied about the kidnapping and now he's on the run. So the fox was found to be a disbarred Washington attorney named Norman T. Whitaker. Fits oh. the name because he sounds like he sucks. And Means yep. was convicted of embezzlement and larceny after trust. So larceny after trust, assume you give money after you trust them to do something with it. I had to look that up. And he was sentenced to 15 years. Good. Um, but they were both convicted of conspiracy to defraud and sentenced to two years each in federal prison. Cool. Great. Bye. So then that was one of the frauds. There were other two frauds that were attempted. Um, but other leads, there were thousands of leads in this case. I can only imagine. One was the Purple Gang of Detroit. Another lead they followed was just numerous boat registries examined uh, to locate the boat Nelly, which was never found, so never real. And they also looked into the records of cemetery employees in New York near Hopewell. And hundreds of photos and descriptive data was shown to a few eyewitnesses, including one of the taxi drivers. These notes were finally found, these ransom notes. And on May 2nd, 1933, um, in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, they discovered 296 $10 gold certificates and one $20 gold certificate, all from the ransom. So apparently all of these certificates were made in one deposit. And when they were all examined, one had a name attached to it. And the name was J.J. Faulkner at 537 West 149th Street. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> What's his name? J.J. Faulkner. Faulkner? Faulkner. Ugh. I don't like that. That's fair. I so, hate them all, really. I know. The fox? <laughs> I think that almost threw you over the edge. Anything else ridiculous? And I think you're out. I almost. I, you almost flipped your table. Yep. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back in time and have a word with some of these people. Okay. Sorry. You're going to have a word with me and be like, don't do this story. I don't want to hear the names. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so, J.J. Faulkner on 149th Street had marked down had also written down gold certificates tens and 20s and like i guess it reminded me of like a check where you'd write like what's it to and like what's it for and stuff so i guess that he had noted some things down on some of these notes and the amount in total that he deposited was two thousand nine hundred and eighty dollars 
So the depositor, J.J. Faulkner, if he existed, was never located. And the examination of the notes determined all were written by the same person. Of course. And they, not I don't want to say guessed because it's scientific, but they said that it was a, the person was of German nationality but spent time in America. How they know that, do not know. And when Is they talk... person? Yes, the person. Okay, so they can't tell if it's a girl or a boy, but they can tell they're German? <laughs> how? And spent time in America. Like, how do they know well, that? Clearly, they need to be in America because they did this. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Great detective skills there. I didn't even think about that. He's not in Europe, if you were wondering. Suck. Not in Europe. Okay. <laughs> so... Doctor, the doctor described the man because he had seen him as Scandinavian um, and spent a lot of time viewing suspect photos. The doctor and the taxi driver gave descriptions to a sketch artist from the FBI. So they tried to identify this guy. And so representatives of New York City Borough Office asked the doctor to prepare transcripts transcripts of all conversations between him and john on march 12th and april 2nd when they met up with each other so on march 34th conversations transcribed in detail on phonograph Wait. records what did you say march 34th yes what is that that's just the day 34th 1934 i thought you meant march 34th no <laughs> What, what are we doing here? Me? She's like, well, this story's getting nuts. No, so on March 9th, sorry, March 1934, okay. the conversations were transcribed in detail on phonograph records by the doctor. So he imitated the pronunciations and the dialect of John, and they got the nationality, the education, mentality, and character clearly defined from these transcripts. Okay. And they were preserved for future use. So I'm like, okay, cool. Never getting That's somewhere. Interesting. Never getting somewhere. Yeah, I don't know how. Don't know how they're doing it, but pretty cool. The police used the okay. The ladder comes back because they can't really go off anything. So the police used the ladder or got the ladder used in the crime, and they realized it was crudely built, but someone familiar with wood and and someone mechanically inclined had made it. So they couldn't find fingerprints on it. So a wood expert, which didn't know existed, but makes sense, was called in to examine the ladder. And Arthur Kohler from the Forest Service Department of Ag Agriculture was called in. So Kohler disassembled this ladder and identified the wood types and the tool marks in this ladder. He looked at the nail hole patterns and he summarized his findings in a report and basically played like a very critical role in the trial. So this man, who I didn't know could be a wood expert, totally just did wood science that I didn't know <laughs> was a thing. I thought that was pretty cool because, you know, your skill set, you don't know. You just got to get out there and try. There's wood experts. You can literally be anything. So he was critical. Um, on August 20th, no, between August, Augie, between August 20th and September of 1934, 16 gold certificates were found. And most were in Yorkville and Harlem vicinities. And when a note was found, a pin was placed on a map tracing the movements of these notes. So representatives contacted New York and Westchester County banks, and it became possible for investigators to trace the bills to the person who had originally passed them. So they found the description of the individual passing the notes, and they found that 
that description fit that of John described by the doctor. So not only could they find out, oh, hey, now we can trace who's actually using these notes and who's giving them and taking them, you know, like that's very cool. And they're like, hey, we got a, a description because now everybody is red alert. Let's look out for this John person. And he just happens to fit the description of John who is doing the notes. So there's a trail and a 1.20 p.m. on September 18th, assistant manager of a New York bank telephoned the New York City Borough office to advise that a $10 gold certificate had been found by a teller. The bill had been received from a New York City gas station. And when they talked to that gas station, they found the attendant that three days prior on the 15th, an attend that attendant received a bill from a man who closely matched the description of the individual. So he was in the area and he was using multiple of these notes to pay. So he was paying for gas and he used one of these bills. So the attendant was suspicious anyway. I don't know if because he knew like about the Lindbergh kidnapping, but he was suspicious for other reasons, it said, and recorded the $10 bill and the license number. Good for him <laughs> because that license number issued to a Bruno Richard Hauptman in Bronx, New York. So we got a name. We got a place. We're going to find this motherfucker. So Bruno's house was surveillanced that night on September 18th into the morning of the 19th. And the individual closely fit the John description. So he got into his car the next morning and they promptly took him into custody. Custody. <laughs> <laughs> they quickly, they promptly took him into custody. So he was a German carpenter who'd been in the U.S. for 11 years. $20 gold ransom certificates were found on him and they found a pair of shoes in the house, which was brought, which was bought by a recovered ransom bill. So things are connecting. In the garage, there was a gas can found with certificates that he put in there to hide, which was dumb because I'm pretty sure there was still like gas in it. This is very dumb. So he admitted to using the ransom certificates for other purchases. And he was positively identified by the taxi driver on the 19th, that same day. Hmm. So the next day, so the taxi driver, there you go. <laughs> not not oh, all bad. Now I think you know, Mr. Taxi <laughs> Driver. Now you know. <laughs> Uh, so so the next day, $13,000 in ransom certificates were found in his garage, mostly in that gas tank. And so the doctor also identified him as John. So now it's, yeah, you're caught, whatever. So he was also in possession of a Dodge sedan, which matched the description of what was seen in the vicinity of the Lindbergh home a day prior to the kidnapping. Mm, canvassing. Right? And then handwriting samples were flown to D.C. to be studied by the FBI and a comparison was done and they had striking similarities. Hmm. So then they got to know him a little more when he went in. 35 years old from Saxony, Germany. He had a, a record for robbery and spent time in prison. In 1923, he stowed away on a boat arriving in New York City, but he was arrested and deported almost immediately. <laughs> um, he tried another attempt that failed a month later. And he then successfully got in a few months later after that. He, by stowing on a ship again. I mean, who, like, don't, who stows on ships? I mean, I guess if you want to get out, like, it's the 30s, I guess. But I don't want to stow away on a ship. Sounds awful. <sighs> God. So, <laughs> Sounds like been there, done that, girl. Yep. 
<laughs> so he married a woman named Anna Schofler two years after stowing away onto the boat and getting onto the U.S. soil. And they had a son eight years later. Um, from then to 1932, Bruno worked as a carpenter. And they found, after looking into him, a short while after the kidnapping, Bruno began trading in stocks and never worked again. And mm. I wonder why. Because you got money. So. Mm. Nope. So he was indicted of extortion on September 26th, 1934, and then of murder on October 8th, 1934. He was sent to Hunterdon County Jail two days later, and the trial began on January 3rd, 1935 at Flemington, New Jersey, which lasted five weeks. Uh, the case was based on certain circumstantial evidence. Uh, they looked at the tool marks on the ladder, which matched his tools. Wood in the ladder matched wood in his attic. Um, doctor, the doctor's address was found written on a doorframe in his <laughs> closet. You dumbass. What? <laughs> you stupid bitch. So that handwriting was matched from the ransom notes. Um, and obviously a month later in February 13th, uh, he was found guilty, murder in the first degree, and sentenced to death. The defense appealed, um, and the Supreme Court upheld the verdict, and the appeal was denied. Uh, the planned electrocution was January 17th of 1936, the next year. But the governor of New Jersey granted a 30-day reprieve and resentenced him that February to be electrocuted that March. The pardon court of New Jersey denied the petition for clemency. Good. And he was electrocuted April 3rd at 8.37 p.m. Good so, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But, like, oh, that's, the handwriting was written. Oh, I can't. Um, so the aftermath. At the time... Um, of the kidnapping, like I said, kidnapping was not a federal crime. And the f day after the body was found of Charles Jr., President Hoover made it so all national investigation agencies would help state authorities. Um, this case was very significant and it demonstrated the growing scientific approach to solving crime. So when I'm talking about ripping apart ladders and like handwriting specialties and wood experts, like, yes, solve crimes using wood. So one of it was also one of the earliest success stories of the use of the crime lab. So I guess that's what they considered the crime lab. So in response to the tragedy, Congress put the borough in the business of solving kidnappings. So they passed what was called the Lindbergh Law, and it authorized FBI to investigate kidnappings where it was thought the victim had been taken across state lines. Um, this law has evolved and it authorizes now to investigate any reported mysterious disappearances or kidnapping involving child of a tender age, so 12 or younger. However, the FBI can be involved with any child missing under 18 as an assisting agency to local police departments. Uh, there doesn't have to be a ransom. A child doesn't have to be doesn't have to cross state lines and doesn't they don't have to be missing for 24 hours. Um not a fun fact, but a fun fact, the gas can that was hiding the certificates is on display at Museum in D.C. It's in the Inside Today's FBI exhibit, and it's one of a collection of Lindbergh kidnapping artifacts. So it was like artifact, huh. artifact of the month or something um, not too long ago. So <sighs> interesting. Yeah, I just can't. It always ends up, not always, but it always ends up that 
they've been dead the whole time and so close to home. And that's what really irritates me Mm -hmm. because these people just, do you think you'll get away with it the longer? You're literally giving me 25 notes to read and I'm going on a, like on a treasure hunt for these notes and stuff. And you could have, like you said, you could have just gotten away. Like mind your, like go away. What's his name again? Bruno. Bruno, fuck you, dude. You fucking suck. <laughs> the worst name out of the whole night. <laughs> well, Gaston was pretty bad, too. He was a piece of shit also, but, you know. That was pretty bad. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't remember knowing if whether the kidnapping was so close to us here. But I was, like, I was surprised and not surprised. Because, like, like you said, it was very, it's a very... It's one of those stories that everybody kind of knows. No idea that it was so close to New Jersey. No idea either. I didn't know. That's kind of... I'm glad I chose it because it's one of those interesting... It is one of those interesting stories. And those poor people. It was their only... It was their first child. I I mean... Only child. I don't know. It's literally the shittiest thing that someone could ever fucking do. And that's why it made me so mad. (laughs) You know? Like... So many missteps. Oh, so, oh my god, so mad. So many missteps. So many like hello, like no brainers. You know? And like did they have did Bruno ever say like why he did what he did? Or like no, he just didn't say No. Anything. No. And you know what? I'm gonna just look it up to double check because I didn't see anything. If it comes up with anything stupid, Bruno. If it says money, it's a lie and a half, okay? Because Bruno has ulterior motives. That's what I'm saying. It literally doesn't... Oh, he was called... Okay, so it was trial of the century. Duh, I can only imagine. And he was called the most hated man in the world. Agree. Completely agree. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I assume it was because it was Lindbergh and he had money and like... You know, like he was going to give you money if you stole his child. Yeah, but you know like what I said, mean? like the money thing just doesn't make sense. Like, why would this random dude named Bruno want money from Charles Lindbergh and say, you know what? I'm going to take your baby. I'm going to kill your baby. And then I'm going to send you me- like notes every day for two months trying to get money from you. And I'm going to try to bargain up to $100,000 from you. And then in the end, I'm like, you know, this is, I'm, I'm over this. Let's just, I'll just give me 50000 and we'll call it a day. Here's the baby. You know, like just, and he's in New York. He's not right. even in New Jersey, right? Doesn't make any sense to me. I'm glad I um I did this topic though and gave it a break from the other topic um that I'll do later. It was interesting. I really like not that it was one. lighthearted, but no, I really like this one. This yeah, one, thank was, you. I'm glad you liked it. This one was uh more things that I didn't really know about it, but so, yep. enough of a topic that it's well known and like exactly. Yeah, I think it was good. Yeah, awesome. All right, well. Next time will be your episode, and I don't want you to tell me. I will not tell you. All right. Well, thank you for listening, friend. Thank you for sharing, friend. (gasps) You're welcome. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed, and we will see you next time. Stick around for more cool stuff. Cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dark Matters. If you don't already, please follow us on Instagram at darkmatters underscore podcast, on Twitter at darkmatters underscore 22, and on Facebook. Details for our social media can be found in the description of this episode. Stay updated on future episodes and special content, and feel free to share ideas for topics you want to see us cover. Until next time.